that when we surrender ourselves to you, you provide everything that we need. And thank you so much for the fact that when we yield ourselves and we fill ourselves with you, the person of Jesus Christ, and we allow the Holy Spirit to have complete control, that you grant us the grace, you grant us the ability, the power to live out our lives to bring glory and honor to your name. So this morning as we open the word of God, it's our prayer that your spirit would be free to speak to our hearts, to encourage us to make us more like your son, Jesus Christ, and that we would yield ourselves to the person of the Holy Spirit, to the power of the Holy Spirit. We allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in us, even this morning. Pray that your your word would speak to us as only only you can through it. In your name we pray, amen. We are continuing on this morning in our study of the book of Philippians. If you have your Bible, we'll be looking at the book of Philippians, chapter 2, the first 11 verses this morning, and the title uh, this morning is Having the Mind of Christ, and uh, as I was thinking about this passage, this is one of those passages that really you can't do all 11 verses in, in one setting, it's, it's, uh, there's too much information there, there's too much about the person of Jesus Christ and our reaction to the person of Jesus Christ and who he is, his character. Uh, so we're going to just do a snapshot again and um, we're going to look at a couple things in, in particular that Paul wants us to understand about the person of Christ and the mind of Christ. And as I was thinking and reading through that passage, one of the thoughts that kept coming to my mind was... The picture of having someone in your life who you can trust. I hope that each one of you here this morning in each of the theaters and online and those uh, that are are watching, I hope that each one of you have someone in your life that you can trust, someone that's a go-to person in your life, someone that you know that no matter what happens in your life, you can go to them, you can sit down, you can tell them whatever it is that's going on. They're not going to be shocked. They're not going to treat you any different. They're going to accept you for who you are. Um, They're going to give you the advice that you need. Maybe they're going to look at you at some point and say, no, you're crazy and you shouldn't do that. Or, man, I'm so happy for you. Or they're going to just come alongside and maybe just support you in in a time of loneliness or a time of discouragement. That person who you can just count on no matter what. I hope you have that person in your life. That's really what Paul starts this passage of Scripture out talking about is having someone that you know and knows you, and it's to the point of you know exactly what they're going to do next, and you can respond to what they're going to do before they do it. That's how well the relationship is working. That's the depth of the relationship. Um, And maybe you have that. Maybe there's somebody that you work with or someone that you've spent a lot of time with that you know before you even say what it is that you're going to say what their response is going to be. Or when they're call, they pick up the phone and they call you, you know, even before you pick the phone up, what you're going to say, because you know them so well, you're like, this is it. Well, that's verse 1. That's chapter 2, verse 1. Let me read it for you or with you, and, and, and let me show you what I mean. If then there is any encouragement in Christ... If any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, 
If any affection and mercy, just stop right there for a minute. Paul starts this chapter out, this is really, it's a rhetorical question or statement that he makes. In other words, he's not looking for an answer. He's saying this, he's saying, look, I already know this. I have such a good relationship with Christ. I know Christ so well. I know I know the heart and the mind of Christ. I know the character of Christ so well that there's encouragement in Christ. It's not a question if. There's encouragement. And you might say it this way, since there is encouragement in Christ... And if I were to go around the room this morning and you're a Christ follower in this room or any of the other rooms or you're watching online and I were to say to you, is there any encouragement in Christ and you're a Christ follower, I already know your answer. Because if you've been forgiven of your sin, if you've come to that place where you understood your need of a Savior and you brought yourself to the feet of Jesus Christ and you humbled yourself and you asked for his his forgiveness, then guess what? You have been encouraged by the person of Jesus Christ. And we could go through all of this room and and it would be worth doing and have each one of you tell the encouragement that you found in knowing Jesus Christ. And Paul's like, hey, I'm with you. I got it. There is encouragement in Christ and I've experienced it. Think about Paul for a minute when he's writing this. He's in prison. We know that. We've talked about that. But think about Paul's background. We're going to later, when we, when we study the rest of this book, you're going to find out that Paul says this about himself. I was, I was the most zealous of Pharisees. I was born into a family. I was, I, was, I was more Jewish than the Jews. That's really what he says about himself. I, I'm, I was all in. I I was all in and everything that I did, I studied, I learned, I I knew it all. And then I bumped into Jesus Christ. And I realized it wasn't about religion. And I was a murderer. And I was a hater. And Jesus Christ changed that. Is there any encouragement in Christ? There was no hope for me in who I was before I ran into Christ. But now there is great encouragement in knowing Christ. Is there encouragement in knowing Christ? Yeah. Is there any consolation of love? In other words, I've felt the depths of the love of Jesus Christ. I deserved nothing. And Christ gave me I deserved eternity separated from God because of what I did, because I who, but I have felt and experienced the love of Jesus Christ that lifted me up and saved my soul. I've experienced the fellowship of the Spirit and I've experienced His mercy. 
And if I were to talk to you this morning and we were to talk about this this morning, you could tell me story after story after story of, of, of feeling the encouragement of Jesus Christ, of feeling his love surround you when you felt like you were alone, of understanding his mercy and looking. If you look at the depths of your own heart, the depths of your own mind, you know who you are better than anybody else does and you know you don't deserve his mercy and yet God because of who he is blesses you with his mercy wow I was in, on a mission strip in South America one time and I uh, went in uh, the, the place that we were there were not many believers and uh, we're way up in the Andes Mountains, and we stopped at this little hut that was all by itself, which was not typical. Usually they were in villages, and, and so we stopped to talk at this, this little hut. And the moment that we got off, our, we were on motocross bikes, we got off our bikes, and we, we met these people, and there was something different about those people. And we got talking to them, and guess what we found out? They were believers in Jesus Christ. And they had absolutely nothing. They lived in a, in a, in a mud hut with uh, only two walls and a bed in this hut. And the moment that we got there and we started talking to them, when we told them what we were doing, the, the, they, they started to cook a meal for us. They really had nothing. But we felt the fellowship of the Spirit. We couldn't, I couldn't speak their language. There's one, one guy with us that spoke Guadani, which was the language that they spoke. The, the other three of us couldn't speak it. But you know what? We were one. And when we sat around that little, well, it wasn't, wasn't a table. It was, it was a little stump. And we, we shared what they had for food. We're not sure exactly what it was. Um, still to this day, I'm alive, so it was okay. But we shared that meal around that stump with that, that little family and the unity of the Spirit, because we are one in Jesus Christ. Wow, it's an amazing, it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing, it's an amazing adventure with Jesus Christ. And so Paul starts this letter out saying this, or this part of this letter, this chapter for us. He starts it out by saying this, look, I know Christ so well, and this is his heart. This is his character. Let me stop right here for a minute, believer. Can you echo that statement with Paul this morning? Curtis was talking about, you know, I get grumbly and discouraged when stuff goes on. And Paul looks at it from a whole different point of view, doesn't he? And he says, no, it's the encouragement of knowing and having a relationship with God and feeling his love and experiencing his mercy and having the Holy Spirit indwell and change my heart and mine. It's like us getting up every morning knowing that the sun is going to rise and as we get ready at the end of the day, knowing that the moon is going to, that the evening and the moon will be there for the night. That's the thought here. It's I know Christ so well that I know these events are going to happen because that's who he is, that's who his character is, and it won't change. That's what it's like. That's what Paul's talking about. So if these characteristics are true, if these things are true about Jesus Christ, then verses 2 to 4, follow along with me. He says this. 
then make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourself. Everyone should look not on his own interests, but rather on the interests of others. So Paul says this, he says, look, if Christ is really what I said he was, if the encouragement of Jesus Christ is true and the love of Jesus Christ is true and the, the power of the Spirit is true and his mercies are true, then if, if those things, if those characteristics of Jesus Christ, if those are things that I can count on, that I can place my feet firmly on, I, I know they're going to, I know it's who Christ is, I know it's how he's going to show up, then if that's true, then make my joy complete by thinking the same way. Now, when he says that, immediately in our minds, we begin to say, well, well, does that mean we all in this, we're all robots now and we all have to think exactly like this and, we, and everybody has to think like Pastor Tim? Oh, please no. <laughs> Don't do that. That's not what he's talking about here. When he says this, he's talking about unity, not uniformity. Okay. Unity, not uniformity. Uniformity means that we set rules up so that we all act the same. That's, that's action. That's external, right? It means that all of us come in and we do the exact same things at the same time. Unity means that we have the same purpose or the same heart within us that causes us to react and do things in a like manner. Very different concepts. And so Paul says this, look, if these characteristics are true of Jesus Christ and you've experienced them, then we should live together in unity because Christ is in us. Then as believers, we should live together in unity. The result of those characteristics changing my heart produces unity in us. It produces love in us. And I'm not talking about the gushy kind of love. That's not what I mean. I mean this. I mean that it shows up in the same way it showed up in Jesus Christ, where Jesus Christ went to the cross for you and for me. And remember what Romans tells us. In that well, we were still what? Sinners. The love of Jesus Christ wasn't because we were such good people who looked so good, who had it all together. That wasn't what the love of Jesus Christ was about. The love of Jesus Christ looked down and saw our need and saw our hurt and saw our brokenness and saw our sin and said, they can't do anything in and of themselves to redeem themselves, so I will do it for them. And that is what love is all about. And so Jesus says, uh, they can't reach me. They can't, they can't make it on their own. But I care for them so much that I will make a way for their relationship with me to be restored. And so Paul says it this way. If these characteristics are true about Jesus, and you know Jesus Christ, 
then the love of Jesus Christ, the unity of the Spirit, the oneness, and the love of Christ should be evident in your life. In other words, when things go sideways with people, you still love them, you still care for them, you're still concerned about them. When they are in your face with hatred, when they despise you, when they mistreat you, you still show up with love for them. Whoa, hold it. In our culture, I have my rights. And my rights supersede their hatred. I have my rights, and if you're going to treat me that way, then I have things that I can do. There are, there are, I can do stuff. And Paul says here, he says, no, 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 that's not what this is about. This is not about your rights. This is not about you getting your way. This is about you showing the love of Jesus Christ for people in the middle of their difficulty and in the middle of them hating Wow, that's hard. That's difficult. But he says, look, if these characteristics are true of Jesus Christ, then this should show up in you. The love of Christ and united in the spirit. But here's the next. Catch this little phrase. He says, intent on one purpose. Intent on one purpose. If you have two goals in mind in your life and you are working toward two goals at one time, what happens to you? This is not a trick question. What happens? They both only, well, you get a gold star, Jay, this morning. Well done. Perfect. They both only get half of your attention. And you will be distracted. And Paul in this letter says, look, if these characteristics are true of Jesus Christ, and they matter so much, then I need you to be single-minded. Now, if you're sitting here this morning and you really think about that, immediately your mind says, well... But I have responsibilities. I have a job. I have a family I have to provide for. I have to, I have to get up tomorrow morning and, and I have to go to work so that I can make enough money so that we can eat or even more important at this moment, we can keep the heat on. It's cold. And if I focus on my responsibilities, then how do I have this one thing that Paul is talking about? How do I do that? And that can be a difficult thing as we think through that. Well, how in the world does that work? And Paul is, what Paul is telling us this is, he says, I have one thing that needs to be the primary, the primary thought, the primary action of my life. And that one thing primary thought and action of my life is the person of Jesus Christ. And if I put the person of Jesus Christ number one in all of my life, in everything I do, everything I say, in all of my actions, in the way that I live out my life, then guess what? All of the other events 
my work that's important, my family that's important, looking after my spouse, caring for the people that are close to me, all of those other events will fall into, into play exactly the way they're supposed to. But what's really interesting, if I do it the other way around, Christ always gets the short end of the stick. And what eventually happens is Christ doesn't even get the leftovers. Because my time and my attention and my heart are stolen by other things. And so Paul says this, look, I need to be intent on one purpose and one purpose alone, Jesus Christ. And then the next thing fall into place he says and then I don't do anything out of selfish ambition and then with humility I look at others as more important than myself I put others in front of myself I don't look at just the stuff that I'm involved in the things that I'm doing but I look at the things that other people are involved in and I take an interest in them my mentor for life was the pastor that I had as a as a young child and then as we grew up um, I ended up getting to pastor with him on the staff that, of the church that, that he pastored. And he was one of these guys that when you, you were with him and when he talked to you, when, when, whenever you walked into his office or, or he liked to go out to eat a lot, we went out to eat a lot. So whenever we went out to eat, whenever, whatever time that you were with him, you had his complete undivided attention and you were the most important person that he was talking to the most important person that was around him and it didn't matter who else showed up it was you and him that was it and when you were with him you felt like at well after you'd been with him after you spent time with him you felt like felt, felt like you could take on the whole world whatever it was that you were talking about you, you left being encouraged and ready to go and 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 full of life that's what paul is talking about here he's saying look don't just chase after the things that are important to you but chase after and help encourage and be part of other people's life the people that are close to you be encouraged encourage their interests help them out lift them up that's what dr bob used to do to me i'd walk into his office to talk about something and and i'd walk, and i think there was a little trick to that cuz you ended up doing more work because you felt like when you left he's like oh you can do it let's go and you're like how did i get suckered into that Paul's saying, don't just look out after the things that are yours, but be on mission. Singular mindset for Christ, which will make you concerned and give you a heart for the people around you. If these things are happening in my heart every day, then my everyday life will be completely changed. My motive for everything that I do is changed. It will no longer be about me and self-serving and how I can lift myself up and how I look in front of people. How I look or how I feel will no longer be the driving force of my actions. I will be a humble person who does not promote himself or themselves. They understand who they are and where they fit. And they live out their life filling the role that God has placed before them. 
is that me? Is that you? Paul said this exact same thing in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, where he said it this way, For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one of us. And he goes on in that passage, and he lays out all of the different gifting of the body, and he shows this. He says, in Romans 12, he says, look, if every part of the body does its share, the body is lifted up, and it does its work amazingly, and people see God. And it's not about one part of the body. It's not lifting up one part. It's that all of the members of the body would work well together and function well together. And that's the picture of this whole passage. Paul is saying, look, if I do my part really, really well, nobody may even see me, but the body will grow. If I do my part really, really well, and if I honor God with what he's given me, nobody may even know that I exist, but God will be glorified. And the church will be the example of Jesus Christ that we should be. Now, if you've been paying attention this morning, which most of you have. I don't see many people sleeping, but I can't see well because of the lights. So you can get away. Well, don't, don't go there. <laughs> then you may be saying to yourself, but Tim, this is a lot. Think about this. I got to live in unity with all these people. I got to love everyone around me. I got to live with one purpose in the spirit of God. It all sounds really good it sounds right. So do I just work harder? Do I try harder? Do I, do I lift myself up and I engage at a higher level and I put more effort and more energy into it? I, I, I do more work. I, I work harder to be better so that, so that God could be glorified. That sounds exhausting to me. I don't know if I want to do that. I don't know if I can do that. It sounds discouraging to me because then it's all up to me. That sounds like I'm setting myself up for failure. I don't think I can do it. You can't. And neither can I. But the wonderful truth about God is his word never leaves us hanging. He always gives us an answer to those questions like, how do I do this, God? This is too much for me. He never leaves us at a point where we're set up to fail. And this next section of verses help us to understand how we go about living this out. Look at these verses with me. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. Here it is. These verses, by the way, were probably a hymn in the early church. The way it's written, it's probably a hymn about who, God, who Christ is and the truths about how he 
functioned among us in the heart of Jesus Christ. And so it could have been one of their hymns or it may have been something that they stood and they quoted together. But let me give this to you. Read it with me if you would. You can read it out loud or you can read it to yourself. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This passage of scripture, verses 5 to 11, is your answer to the how-to. It's the answer to how do I go about having the mind of Christ and living out all of those characteristics that Paul talks about that seem so difficult and seem to be overwhelming. How do I do it? How do I have that mind of Christ? When I was in junior high and high school in that age frame, leading into junior high, I found a book. The book was called Lost in the Barrens. Okay, it's a phenomenal book if you're in junior high or high school and you're a boy. (laughs) The book was about two young Indians, Native Americans, sorry, who were on a hunting expedition with their fathers and they got lost. And they got separated from the group of hunters and they spent the next winter in the woods by themselves, and they had to survive by themselves. And the whole book is about all that they went through to survive all by themselves. And as I read that book as a junior higher, I realized that I need to become a mountain man. (laughs) You laugh. And so for the next years of my life, I read every book that I could get a hold of On survival, I went to a, I I took a course in surviving in the winter. I took a course on compass reading. I used to go out at night in the winter and make a lean-to and stay overnight, keep a fire going. I know, crazy. Actually, Mike's brother, Doug, was equally as crazy, and we would do it together. We had a trap line. And we would, we would build a, a kind of an igloo uh, from a fallen down tree and we would put boughs over it and we'd scoop the snow up around it. And we'd spend the weekend sometimes. We'd go out and we'd stay overnight and we were going to be, I was going to be a mountain man. So then we grabbed our hatchets and we made ourselves a crosscut saw and we went out into the woods and we cut down a bunch of trees And we made a log cabin in the woods because we were going to be mountain men. 
You know how you become a mountain man? You learn the mind and the attitude of a mountain man. I'm not a mountain man. <laughs> I quit. It's too hard. It's a lot of work. Right? You learn the mind and the attitude of a mountain man. That's what Paul says. It's not about you. It's not about the work or the effort. That's not, that's not what it's about. It's learning the mind and the attitude of Jesus Christ. And let me quick, quickly show you the mind and the attitude of Jesus Christ. Here it is. He became a servant who laid aside all of his rights. Jesus Christ was completely God when he came to this earth he became a man, and he chose to veil. The word there in the scripture says he emptied himself. And if you look that word up, the definition there says this. It says to neutralize or to veil. And so God, completely God, Jesus Christ, complete, he never became less God when he became man. But he chose to lay aside some of his godness, if I can. It's not right. That's not the right term. But he chose to lay aside what rightfully belonged to him to help us. That's what he did. And he became a servant and he served all those who loved him, those who hated him, those who didn't understand him, those who didn't want to be with him. He served them all. And in his humility and becoming a human, he went, he was obedient to his father, and he went and he died the most humiliating death possible for all of humanity, and that was the death of crucifixion. And that death was only given to criminals to, to humiliate them in front of all people because of what they have done. Paul says, if you want to be like Christ, you want to have the mind of Christ, then lay aside your rights. Serve the people that are around you. The ones that like you, that it's fun to serve. The ones that hate you. The ones that don't understand you, that are not fun to serve. Serve them. And serve them in humility, completely obedient to your heavenly Father. See, having the mind of Christ isn't about trying harder. It's about surrender. And what Jesus Christ did was he yielded himself to the will of the Father. He surrendered. He gave up. And so many of us as Christians are working so hard to prove who we are that we miss the whole point. And the point is yield, surrender. Not my will, but yours be done. And I love the result of this passage. The end of this passage says this, that because Jesus Christ did what he did, God exalted him and lifted his name up above every name because he was the greatest servant of all. Believer, if you are willing to yield and you are willing to surrender, you don't get lifted up. That's not what this is about. 
But Jesus Christ gets lifted up. And God the Father gets the glory that he deserves because of where our hearts are and should be. So let me finish with this. Do you have the mind of Christ? Do you have the attitude of Christ? Or have you been working so hard to prove who you are that you've missed the whole point? You missed the point of what Jesus did. He surrendered himself for the benefit of me and you. God, thank you so much for your son who was the ultimate servant the incredible obedient one who yielded his will and his person to be obedient to the master plan that you had so that I could have life and forgiveness, so the folks in this room could have that. God, grant us the courage and the strength to surrender and yield to be like Jesus so that we too can have the mind and the heart of Jesus Christ. Thank you for providing all that we need in your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray.